0: 9to5.cc. We're not working. Why should you? Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Go Plug Yourself podcast. And we know exactly what you wanted to uh, listen to here in the second week of November. You wanted to listen to a podcast that was almost exclusively about American politics uh but no but i promise before you turn off the podcast i promise this is a really really good one uh dave kaufman uh, from cjd was gracious enough to join chris and i and talk for an exceedingly long time uh, about the current state of american politics and the election and just sort of how they got there uh it's kind of a uh, educational uh podcast where chris and i kind of get to ask some questions of uh of dave uh dave has been covering politics sort of professionally for several years now including uh he you know spent the last uh, he spent five hours on Saturday kind of covering the election live on the radio for, uh, for Montreal to listen to and talk a little bit about that and also uh, stick around all the way to the end uh, for a couple of really 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 great answers for the five question segments uh, thanks for listening tell your friends about the show go plug yourself Montreal go plug yourself you plug a plugger go plug yourself you plug and a
0: plug go plug yourself go, yeah. fly, 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 fly,
2: fly, fly, go plug yourself it's a time for another go plug
1: yourself podcast. talking it's about baseball
0: it's a sport played by 18 people at a time but lost by 2 people at a time I like
1: that mm, you don't think 3 i feel you can you can you can hang the you don't even know who the 2 are
0: who are the two that I just referenced?
1: <laughs> who are the two people who can lose it?
0: Yeah, who are the two oh. people that most often lose baseball games?
1: Well, I'm assuming the catcher. So no,
0: no, they don't really—they the don't play the game. It's the managers.
1: Oh, oh, so you're thinking like you're—you're you're talking like chess?
0: Galaxy so, takes, the- bro.
1: <laughs> Although
0: so you're saying the players are just
1: pawns on the games. field, and that's it.
3: Jeez, is Everyone watching Queen's Gambit now? Like, is this-
1: <laughs> No, I've been I, watching. I watched the trailer twice.
3: I'm three episodes in. It's really good, but it's it's weird to see how everybody's like. I guess it's just it's the distraction right now from quarantine, from Trump, from. It's got a, a Mad Men style to it, and I think it allows everybody to just escape to a different time and place. But I have not heard. I've At least never-
0: until Succession comes back.
1: Sure. Well, sure. <laughs> I, I find it's most often the the stuff that like kind of like breaks through into the zeitgeist is usually it's like it, it's HBO or Netflix, like that, that. It's one or the other, and it's just sort of. And I don't even know what it is. That's not true. Uh,
0: Quibbly was super Quibley,
1: successful. Quibbly, he says. <laughs> uh, shout out to our sponsors, Quibby.
0: <laughs> oh, that's what they were called.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, we hardly we hardly knew you Quibbly.
1: but yeah but it was like but it's also kind of like blows my mind which show like like how certain shows break through because like i said Queen's gambit just seems to be starting uh getting through like i think the weirdest one in recent years that sort of broke through was stranger things like where you're just sort of like oh there's this show it's about kids fighting aliens in the 80s and every person you know is watching it and you're like that's not a normal show for like everybody to have suddenly gotten into like that was a I think that was like the one that had my, me scratching my head the most. I was like, I liked it a lot, but I was like, I was a kid in the '80s and I played Dungeons and Dragons. This show is like exactly at me. But like when like my wife's parents were like, "Oh, we're watching Stranger Things," I was like, "Why? Like, what's?" The, you not what?
0: I, I want to run by a th- this theory through Dave because we've talked about this before. Do you think it's because the world is just so crazy in the last four years that we needed something even more ridiculous to keep us entertained?
3: Sorry, what's the thing that's more ridiculous to keep us entertained?
0: Little
1: kids
3: fighting, fighting aliens. Stranger
0: Things. <laughs> or do we think Stranger Things is, a, Str- Things is a better universe to live in than Donald Trump as president of the United
3: States? <laughs> stuff's always been around, though. So I, I don't think Stranger Things really reinvented any wheel. I, I um, <laughs> if, if we're looking for, like, distractions in the Trump era, I mean, that's been... Man, I, that's what I've been searching for for the last four years. I found it... <laughs> Nearly impossible. The last dance was a great uh, distraction from everything at the start of quarantine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, it was, it was six weeks of bliss. <laughs> yeah, for the same reasons though that you mentioned, for nostalgia, being a kid, eighties and nineties, and more of the Jordan championship stuff than the Jordan coming on the scene stuff. But yeah. that was amazing. That was that was exactly what we needed. We, Our, like, like I can speak for everyone. That's exactly what I needed. Like, you know what, funny? I,
1: I, uh, I, I was Go gonna say though, but 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 I find that it, it's really funny. Like I I I can I can cop to um, I have a weird like false nostalgia for the 80s, right? Like I'm 37, so I'm actually like a little too young to be the kid from Stranger Things. But my brother is six years my senior, so I always look but like via the lens of looking up to him, like he was the kids in Stranger Things. You know, like because he was like 12 in 1988 or 1989. And I I thought that was cool. So that's like I have this weird like reverse lens lens with the 80s and a lot of 80s stuff. But it, and I find it so funny that there is like that nostalgia for it, because like to bring it to politics, we we're like that was Ronald Reagan. and I was like the 80s were pretty messed up politically, too. When you. Economics and all that stuff so everyone's like the 80s were amazing and I was like just pretty sure they up. had eight years like literally the entire decade 81 to 89 where Ronald Reagan was calling the shots and we're, we're like we're the 80s were, were the best
2: we, I, and
3: I'm a few years older than you but I, I was too young to realize just how messed up things were under the Reagan era yeah. and instead I had it I guess glorified by things like family ties and, and the way that yeah. Alex Frieden would would yeah. be this young conservative that that actually <laughs> appealing at the time. I mean, I, I you know, 20-year-old me would, would have given 8-year-old me a shake. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, but then I, I remember the first U.S. election, I remember, and I remember it vividly with Dukakis and Bush. And it shocked me that, that Michael Dukakis didn't win. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously I didn't see it at the time, but the really famous SNL where John Lovitz is playing Dukakis and uh, Dana Carvey is George Bush. And at one point, Lovitz just looks at the camera and goes, "I can't believe I'm losing to this guy." <laughs>
0: yeah, some I, people and think- some have a theory that the only reason Michael Duk- Dukakis lost the election to George W. Bush is because he's from Massachusetts, and that's why. Well, lost this year.
3: It goes <laughs> a little deeper than that. It's um. Have yeah, you seen
0: I'm sure. <laughs> 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 like, listen, listen, Robert we're here for James, jokes. Uh,
3: <laughs> that was for Roger Stone and Lee Atwater and um. Oh God, the guy who ran Trump's campaign and ended up in jail. Uh, Manafort? Manafort. That's where they all got their start. Mm-hmm. And that's where we saw start first started to see a real dirty kind of politics.
1: And that was makes uh, the Drain the No Bar, bar the drain was the later, swamp. Right? Yeah. Bar was, was later into the Bush camp.
0: It makes the dra- Drain the Swamp slogan that, that much more hilarious, especially now with people who are in the midst of what they're going through with this election, the election results, it makes the drain the swamp narrative that much more hilarious. That this guy became president and just hired the swamp, and he was supposed to change the system. And they're still to this day convinced that that's the the, the big secret that we're not seeing because we're all the sheeple, is that he's going to somehow with a team of Hollywood uh, Washington insiders around him? Not the Hollywood the Satanists, swamp.
1: man. The Hollywood satan is definitely like. <laughs> No, Washington,
0: like purebred Washington politicians is what he has around him. And yeah. Jared Kushner and Stephen Miller. When is this podcast going to come out? It's going out uh,
1: on Thursday, so in two days okay. from now. Okay, so today. We want to introduce our guest, by the way. Like, we, yeah, a, we have we, a we're, great we're, we're, guest. We hit the ground uh, uh, running here. A
0: <laughs> super great guest.
1: Keep I said we were going to talk about baseball and then kind of bridge into politics, but then no, bang. We did it.
0: We did it. It's very American in this. even
1: though we're in canada (laughs) all right
0: (laughs) i can make my point go ahead uh, keith whoa
1: i I was about to pour myself some water and i was going to do chris uh chris do the layup well listen we got the voice
0: one one of the one of the voices of the cjad local news team Mm -hmm. um somebody that before i met him i always very much enjoyed listening to and then after i met him i was very lucky to know him and he's a great follow on social media he's great on cjad he's Great on sports, pop culture, everything, but but politics is rare. I think he's got the most the most position most positions I agree with, I think from an online perspective. Dave Kaufman is here on our on our on our lovely show. He was he did five hours of coverage on Saturday. Yeah, after Biden well, was that announced.
1: was that on purpose or were you just like in the studio and they were like oh it happened Dave you're pulling longer hours you're staying <laughs> you're staying uh, did you
0: know did you know it was gonna happen on Saturday you were in for a five
1: minute well, news break and then they just <laughs>
3: So, first of all, thank you for the lovely and warm introduction, Chris. I'm uh, equally a big fan of yours. Uh, Keith, I'm looking forward to becoming a fan of yours by the end of the show today. One more, um, But but Chris, I think you're hilarious and you're awesome. And, and anytime you've uh, asked me to be a part of anything on the Montreal comedy scene, it's been a huge honor. Um, you guys are speaking to me now from my home, and that has been my studio since the start of COVID. So I'll let you in on a little secret. Anytime I've done a radio show since March, save, I think, three or four weekend morning shows where I've gotten in there and, and had the studio to myself, I've been broadcasting from my from my house. Wow. So well, I, I mean,
1: you're the you're the, the second uh, person working in radio that we've had on the show since that we had we had Sean Campbell on from uh, from from TSN. Yeah. And, and he said the same thing where he's like, yeah, it's all it's all from home now. And I love I forget what it was. It was. I don't remember who it was, but it was someone on one of the, the Habs broadcasts, I guess, forgot to mute the mic at a certain point, because it was like, in between plays, you just heard them clearly talking to someone about, like, setting food down on the table or whatever else, and I was like, oh, right, they're at home. I'm um, like, they're just watching television and doing the play-by-play.
3: I have a team <laughs> like, who will make appearances on, on the radio, she'll jump up on the table and nuzzle up against the microphone, and, <laughs> and occasionally i interviewing dominique on glad and she'll meow or something like that it's kind of funny (laughs) is
0: is that the most intimidating is is that the hardest thing about like when you're doing these like real like real news story interviews with people like with serious people not just like idiot comics like me but like with real interviews and um something like just hilarious happens in in the house and you're like trying not to like distract yourself i
3: i been doing it since March now and I've done some of the most meaningful work I've ever done in my career from my dining room table
1: so it's like it's a hell of a year to to have happened right like especially like you've been doing the you said you've been kind of like uh, like following the I guess doing the political stuff on CJD for four years now or like
3: I've been been on
1: uh, CJD
3: I started off in sports radio with Campbell Mm-hmm. And um, there was a, a one big company, bought another big company. And suddenly I was part of the CJD family. And then they realized that I could talk more than just sports. I had been doing a show, um, an eponymously uh, named, I think that's the term, right? The Kaufman show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I had been doing that. It was a Monday night, middle of the night radio show where I would get incredible guests and we would talk about social issues and sports. And uh, when the merger happened, I suddenly started to do a lot more work on cjad than i did on on the team and then tsn which is mm-hmm. an awesome honor but uh, i mean i'm jack of all trades master of none i talk about everything on the radio and but i'm, I'm extremely passionate about politics and about american politics and have so, spent a lot of time covering it in the last four years and just to answer your question i had told my boss that i would be on stand once i saw that the election wasn't getting resolved And here we are a week after the election right now, as we record on the time. And um, it went Tuesday night, and then it went Wednesday night, Thursday night. And then Friday night, I spoke to my boss and I said, I'm here. If something happens, I'm watching TV, I'm paying attention to Twitter. I know what's going on. And if you need me, you can throw to me and I'll be on air and I'll be ready to go right away. So on Saturday morning, I had uh, been pottering around the house. I had the TV on. I jumped out of the shower, into the shower, got out of the shower, started to dry off and saw that CNN had called Pennsylvania for Biden.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: called my boss, got dressed and was on the radio seven minutes
1: later. Wow. I and don't know why you waste all that time you with know. getting dressed.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you still want to feel, you know, you still want to. feel.
1: Yeah, he's like, he's like, oh, wait, I can't be like talking about this like in a robe or whatever. <laughs> you're like, I'm calling one of the most, yeah, yeah. Right. one of the most important like events, like like certainly that of you just year, gave me possibly Keith. of our lifetime, and you're just like, I'm in a bathrobe calling it.
3: Like, <laughs> but if I taking a photo, let's say I taking a photo of like the jubilant crowds in Times Square. And the glare off the TV was me sitting in a towel broadcast. Like, that wouldn't wouldn't
0: have been a big one. It's a Ted Cruz moment for you. (laughs) Putting yourself on blast like that. It's amazing how often that happens to those guys. So just throwing it out there.
3: It happened today. And some guy that lost by 2,500 votes in Pennsylvania uh, had a burner account. And he, by mistake, tweeted from his own account like he was tweeting from the Burner account. Saying, amazing. I'm a gay black male and Donald Trump
0: is wonderful. And he tweeted it from his, like, congressional account or former congressional account. Fucking amazing. Yep. <laughs> that we live yep. in that world. That yeah. we live in the world I mean, where, that- like, where Skip Bayless, basically, is every politician. <laughs> like we, we rip athletes for having burner accounts, and fucking politicians, like elected officials, sure. have burner accounts where well, they pretend Trump to be it. gay black men.
1: Trump did it with the phone in thing, right? Where he like he he had that. Was this even before no, he was president? Thing, no, the before. one thing to
0: talk about Trump.
1: No no no, 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 no. It was before he was president yeah. when they were, he was Aaron, under some John some Barron
0: scandal. Be- that.
3: Yeah, John he, and, him, he used to call into places, and he used to feed stories to the post. Yeah. Pretending that he was like like Trump's PR guy, but it was Trump and everybody knew it was Trump.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It was before he was president, he was being his own hype man because he was yeah. like, oh, I shouldn't like call, actually call into a morning radio show or whatever. But like Before this guy he was president call otherwise represent me.
0: Before he was president, otherwise known as Donald's Happy Years.
1: I, I was gonna say when it was meanwhile, when it was like okay to like when you when he was just like a ridiculous public figure that you're like this guy's ridiculous and he seemed like harmless in that like the apprentice mode or whatever bad bad landlord all that but you're like okay he's just this 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 schmuck right he's around
3: you know you had talked about growing up in the 80s and i remember going like on trips to new york city with my parents when i was and and seeing the the hate to donald trump back then the constant bankruptcies and what he was doing to atlantic city and uh his name all over new york and it, it just it, i remember it rubbing new yorkers the wrong way back then and yeah. then there was this complete overhaul a makeover of of him when 20 million people were watching the apprentice
1: yeah mm. and then parlaying that somehow into being the president um, do you,
0: Dave? Do you think I have a? I have my first. Uh, I think I'm gonna, I have, I'm gonna have three of these over the course of this interview. But my first, Chris Dito asked a hard-hitting political question. Ooh, do you do you think that it's a problem for the Democratic Party that basically for the last two presidential elections they ran one as a and one as? Please look how nice I am.
3: I think I think it was a little bit more in depth than that for both of them. Okay. Um, I don't think that Hillary Clinton, I, I think, look, they, this, nobody saw this coming, except for the people who saw it coming, apparently. And, and that speaks to living in um, my bubble and following the people I follow on social media. And um, I'll tell you, I, and I had something similar happen to me six months before Trump was elected. I was living in London, England at the time. And there was nobody in my bubble that thought that Brexit was going to happen. And then, yeah. we were, and then everybody woke up the morning of Brexit happening, and we're just like, "Holy shit, we are so disconnected from what." And there it was, real England, and here it's real America. Mm-hmm. We are, we are. There are two different worlds out there. And yeah. um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't. I, I'd like to think that I'm really good at seeing through bullshit. And it disappoints me when. People I know or people I like, and I, I've lost friends since this election. I, I really have. There's a, a friend of mine who lives just on the other side of the border, and I'm saddened to say that we can't really get along anymore. We can't, yeah. you know, we we can't have those pithy conversations about bands we like or sports because there's this elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And it and it makes it so was it a coronation with Hillary Clinton? In New York City it was, but I, I don't it was so close, right? I mean, the Trump campaign is is challenging this election now. One week after it for all intents and purposes ended. Yeah. And, and let's remember that four years ago when Clinton picked up the phone to concede to Trump, he only had two hundred and forty eight electoral votes. Yeah. He only had
0: yeah, I know. So we're, we're
3: in a bit of a different world right now. But Joe Biden is so much more than just a nice guy.
0: No, I meant more from the, from the party as opposed to the individual. Because I look at this election, and people ask me, going into last Tuesday, what do you think is going to happen? And I'm like, this is going to be a blowout. There's no – I think it's going to be a blowout up and down the ticket. They'll take back the House and the Senate.
1: Okay, so you were wrong. I was super wrong. Yeah, but I mean,
0: well, so would I mean, so I mean, a lot of yeah. professional pollsters.
3: But also like, let's, to put the- a, let's put a, let's put a uh, like a, an asterisk on that, because for as wrong as we all were, it was going to be a blowout. Right now, Biden's leading by 5 million votes. When this is over, it might be by 7 million votes. And uh, Ronald Reagan, when he won his first blowout, had 50.8, 50.7 percent of the vote. Biden's at 50.8. Yeah. So- it's just that this is America, and this is what they call a blowout in
0: America. Yeah, I think I, I was
3: him, Trump I, called his a blowout in 2016. He no, and I get that,
0: and, I, and and I I think, I mean, Trump called a lot of things about right. 2016 and 2017 bigger than they actually were. I just feel that I was. I mean, obviously, I was a big time Bernie supporter throughout this whole. And Keith, I think, was. I mean I Keith understood those points we we made we had our political podcast before yeah um but I was a big time Bernie supporter I thought he was pushed out again in a kind of sheer way than he was
3: with we all consolidated too. I mean it looked like it was going to be Bernie and then everybody dropped out everybody
1: in. dropped out right. except for yeah I had this com- yeah I had this conversation then- with Chris and I, but at the same time, and and I had it with a couple other ones of my friends who who were Bernie supporters or whatever. Uh, is I was like the the big issue with Bernie is that like it it's sad to say, but when you're the D, like when you're the the like the DNC, you just have to play to the swing states, and we saw it again, like. Like, how well does Bernie play in Wisconsin and Michigan, whatever? Like, it doesn't matter how every... Because the thing is, is California and New York are going to vote dem, vote Dem no matter what. Like, you have those banked seats. Is Bernie maybe the better guy? A lot of, obviously, like, liberal-minded people think so. But you don't care about the liberal-minded people. You care about Wisconsin. You care about Michigan. You care about Florida. You care about those states that are down the middle.
3: You care about the people that Bruce Springsteen sings about. And it was... <laughs> That Donald took those votes. That he took the uh, the Allen uh, the Allentown the, the Bethlehem steel vote. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah exactly. It's it's a, the whole rust the whole rust belt. Right, was, right,
3: was, was and, and that was. I think that changed the way a lot of people look at it. And look, there's no argument that the Democrats were much better at organizing this time around than they were last time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think they, I think they learned their lesson
1: in a big way. Of course, About, they did. Like, because I mean, what was it? What the? It was Wisconsin, right? When Cl- Clinton didn't actually appear in Wisconsin, like she didn't make. She, a, she, she didn't go, go up
0: back to Michigan Washington. after yeah. September. Yeah. But, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. That's it. You're like, yo, that's. How do you, you look at these like set of sets of states that have decided basically every election for the last like thirty years, and you're like. as stupid as it is that's the only place you need to campaign (laughs) like you you need to speak to the which i think is it's i mean in the broader sense of things that i mean especially over the last uh i feel that like as a canadian it started with um with george w bush where we were sort of being like like we're like how does it work down there like you know like Mm -hmm. you kind of started to be like what is exactly going on yeah that's only because we were too young to see it before well, yeah i think really 2000 cool.
0: i think 2000 well but 2000 are, 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 with
1: the, like with, with florida and the hanging chads and the like that was a lot that really opened you, it up yeah but you're like wait a second you're like florida is really deciding the- i mean i was 16 at the time Like, so yes younger than that i was too young but like even as a, as a teenager in high school i started to be like wait what like, because that was basically the news story around the 2000 election was you're like, however, Florida votes is deciding the next president. I was like, how is that possible? Like, I've been to the United States. It's a big place. Right. Why is this one state in charge of deciding who the president is? And then you start to, like, kind of unfold and go down the the, the rabbit hole of, like, the Electoral College and the all or nothing voting and all that. And you're sort of like, oh, you start to kind of get together this system. And then you take a look at it and you're like, fundamentally the red states vote red and the blue states vote blue. And then there's these like 15 states in the middle that actually decide elections. And that's democracy. You know,
3: what's crazy? <laughs> yeah, the, the term red state, blue state wasn't a thing until Barack Obama spoke at a Democratic convention. I think the year that John Kerry was running for 04,
2: yeah. And he
3: said, there are no red states. There are no blue states. There's just the United States. And suddenly, mm-hmm. were like, oh, wait, red states, blue states. Let's use that.
1: I mean, yeah. they used it on the map all the time.
3: Right. Right, but but Michigan is into, I mean, it's a purple state, right? Well, right,
1: well, exactly. and, but that's what I'm saying. Like, but those are the, st- what I'm saying, those aren't red states or blue states. But I'm saying it's like you have like your your, your southern states are mm-hmm. going to be a lock for Republican. Your California and New York are going to be a lock for Democrat. It literally doesn't matter who's on the ballot. They're not flipping. Those
2: 50s-
3: Texas is going to stay red is it, unless something crazy happens. They thought it would happen this time. It didn't happen this time. Maybe the demographics change. Yes. Yeah. Grow a little bit more. That
0: was a that was a that was a very nice dream that they had going into yeah, Tuesday I, last week. I will. That was, I will a, that was you looked at it and you were like, you know, you talk to Beto Work and Beto Work will sell Texas as this progressive county. Uh, but if you if you talk to anybody outside of Beto Work, they'll tell you the brass tacks of it, even with the influx of, of immigrants coming in and the influx of people from California to Texas, which I thought played a big part this time. Uh, it's still going to be a red state to invest money in that state. It seems it's, foolish when there's so many purple states up, up for grabs. Well, the, right? thing, the thing about Texas,
1: I was going to say the thing about Texas is yeah. that I was down there a couple of years ago, is that it's it's very, it's huge. <laughs> and, and it's very different. And like, and I went into Texas kind of thinking that Texas was, as I understood it, like a right wing state, but I was down in San Antonio and yeah, we're not uh, in a right-wing city <laughs> absolutely not austin san antonio and it's just sort of like you're like what's going on here and i was just sort of like like we're talking to like the, there's the, 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 like pride stuff going on and talking to lgbt people and, and i was just sort of like i'm like well, we're in texas and they're like yeah they're like this they're like dude like everyone here has either like come from immigrant families or whatever else it's like very so close to the border most of us know our heritage like everybody's like diverse even and stuff like it's not a very whitewashed town and they're like you're thinking of like dallas <laughs> you know and they were like and even dallas is slightly more progressive but they're right. like they're like the southern area and, and
3: is Carlin, like and, Hank hill and bobby hill it's and it's a very big difference in the same to, to put it on on a, a more relatable scale for where we live montreal and cedil or Tadoussac or Trois Rivieres are, are very different
1: places or even yeah montreal, and they come Quebec up differently City. and like, you don't I mean, even need to go to the rural areas, right? Like, Montreal and Quebec City are just are, – have very different political outlooks a lot of the time. We
0: very much compare to Texas, and I think in that way, where reality is, is we're a separatist province for the most uh, part.
1: Which also Texas is, also. like if, I mean, if, it, Texas
0: it, is – 20% now Chris it's it's, it's no, of- the, the ideologies are still there which is a bit of like it's like it's like a hinty of like a, of a, of a white nationalism ideology where this is our land this is our town you know the, the our language and it's our culture it's that's more on the exterior we don't feel that in Montreal as much we never
3: but I are yeah. the, the kids are great I don't, I don't know what your background is Keith but like I know Chris I mean I know your comedy I know your background I know that Coming from, and the same thing for me, we come from around the world. Yeah, so it's Like my, you know, my grandmother was European and um, fled the Nazis to come here. That doesn't lead to a pure land of Soush mentality. So yeah. like, we, yeah, we've exactly. been accepted with open arms here and we've been here enough generations that we've we've assimilated and fit in. But there are people in this province that look at us or look at our last names and say, oh no, they're not they're not us.
0: And I think no, that's exactly.
3: And we see I mean Houston is one of the largest immigrant cities in the world.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh and it's an incredible city an, an amazingly diverse city. It's Atlanta? El Paso. Yeah, but Georgia is another great example which is going to go blue. Yeah. yeah. You know, but also 8 million or however many millions of people it's separated by like 10,000 votes. Yeah. Well, but, I think that, that's on. one of the
1: big cases, big situations. Like, so where, where I work, our, uh, our, our American offices are down in Illinois. Okay. And you're like, and Illinois is also traditionally very blue. And they're like, but it's not, right? Yeah, but they, like, they're
3: part of Chicago.
1: They're, exactly.
3: They're, they're, the Nazi rally in Skokie. Was it Skokie, Illinois? Yeah. Yeah. Down Main Street.
1: But they but that but that's what they were saying is they're like even the guys who live there, like like most of most of the guys I know, like live that live in Chicago. That's kind of basically where our offices are. And they were like, it's weird because like when we think of it, like when you were saying like Taddy Sack and whatever, you're like, oh, you got to go a ways out. They're like in Chicago, like you don't need to go a ways out. Like you're in the suburbs and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 you're like it gets rural and racist fast.
3: We've going a half an hour in Chicago and you're in Indiana.
1: Yeah, exactly. And Indiana is yeah. not not not, not a liberal
3: state. <laughs> but when you look at it, and I'm going to pull it open now, just to, just out of curiosity, I have the browser open. A lot Indiana, of 40% of, of Indiana went to Joe Biden. It was 57 yeah. for Trump and 40% 40.9 for Biden. But yeah. You can't really paint somewhere with these brushes. Like I've got a buddy who's from Kansas, where 41% of the population voted for Biden. Trump took it with 56%. And yeah. got electoral votes. I, I, when I had um, So when I did the show on Saturday on CJAD, I did three and a half hours after the announcement. And then I took a back and did another and a half. And Kamala Harris spoke. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the guests I had, I don't know if you guys remember him, but Reverend Daryl Gray, who used to be with the Imani Church in Montreal. And yeah. after Ferguson, he moved to Missouri to mobilize and help, help the Black Lives Matter movement in Missouri. Mm-hmm. He's now heavily involved with the Democratic Party. And I'm sure you guys remember the protest in St. Louis in late in the summer, early fall, where the two white people were standing on their front lawn of their mansion with the guns there. Yeah. Reverend Gray was leading that protest.
2: Oh, it wow. was Reverend
3: Gray that they were pointing the guns at. Jesus Right right so he came on with me and it's very clear that there's a lot of work to do That 60 yeah. percent of people 60 of his neighbors voted for donald trump yeah
1: well and i mean and i think that that that's that's the thing that i i get i the hardest time wrapping my head around i i guess as a as a canadian looking south is sure. that like i i have uh one of the um like one of the tech guys who actually helped set us up with our uh, with this whole the whole website and everything uh lives out west he's like a bc guy or whatever but he's like a card-carrying member of the conservative party okay but then when i sit down and have a political conversation he can like it's he's largely like fiscally conservative so he's like absolutely um not necessarily kind of like on board with all of some of the other sort of um i guess like shadier stuff that often gets thrown onto them but he's like the party themselves they're not like are racist people conservative sure but the party isn't racist you know like like there's like it's a weird thing. Which that parties? Like, the party, party of Canada. Canada? Yeah. But there are racist.
2: Uh, there, are rac- there
1: might be racist members of them, right? Like that. That's entirely possible. And, and I and I get where you're coming from, Chris. There are, there are racist
3: liberals too. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. I don't think that Canada is necessarily comparable when we look oh. at. And you know. and, that, and that that's what I'm saying. So that, that, that's why
1: staring into the United States feels like looking to another planet, because even our like our polar opposites are not like insane. Like where, where one side is like, never take away my gun. You know, like, bo- like both sides of Canada could be like both parties can make various statements. Maybe the conservatives are going to be a little more pro-gun, but they're not going to say no gun control and pull it from my cold dead hands. <laughs> you know, and that's our conservative party. So. The divide is just so huge looking down there that that's that's where I get a really hard time kind of wrapping my head around to your point where you're like, no matter what, Indiana, red state. No, it's not. Forty percent of them are blue. You know, like there is
3: no it's not such a huge like it's not a massive shift to think that something could go over the period of 20 years or 30 years or 40 years from red to blue. It's just, you know, next election, Indiana is probably going to stay red.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because 20 percent of the population is probably not going to ship. I think that that's I think one of the things that I was reading this article about where they were like how to fix air quotes, fix American politics. And they were like, how do you actually overhaul it? And like, the, 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 the idea was and there was like, obviously, this is never going to happen because the institutions are far too large is they were just sort of like if you just abolish the parties, they were like, you basically have a one step fix where all of your governors, all of your senators are elected by at the state level and they need to represent their jurisdictions, only they don't hold up a party and say, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican. He's like, know. watch out. I,
3: just, I don't think that's ever going
0: to happen. And oh, it you. won't.
1: It won't. But, the, thing is, that, but, I, but the, the two parties are so I think that the two parties are so ingrained that people just vote Republican. They're not voting for a guy like they're not voting for anybody's policies. They're voting Republican, period.
3: But, you know, back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, there were Democrats that were the pinnacle of racism. Oh, and, sure. and some of them stayed in office for a very long time. The Southern, the Dixiecrats, they called them. Oh. Uh, be- guys like, you know, one of the things that Joe Biden was knocked for was that he gave a eulogy at, I think it was Senator Robert Byrd's you
1: know, Right. yeah.
3: He was like a, a terrible racist. Strom Thurmond stayed in the party for a long time. Um, I hope he, I know we're doing just an audio podcast, but I, I will point out that right now we're having a very serious conversation while my- <laughs> right here, walking every word. It's so I, that's what she's comes- agreeing
1: with most of what you're saying, too. So yeah, it's
0: fine.
3: She, she thinks I have a lot of cogent points.
1: So she's- very politically savvy cat is what I'm saying.
3: <laughs> but if you want to, if you want to fix American democracy. You make it easy for everybody to vote, Oh, also, that, yeah, also yeah sure. like that's the voter suppression laws are terrifying, and mm-hmm. it only it only benefits one party, and that's why the party in power doesn't want people voting. Yeah. So if Joe Biden survives this soft joke of a coup that that is being attempted right now, I'm really curious what happens in the next four years to ease the ability. For black people
0: to vote.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, well, I think uh, I think that starts with what happened in Georgia. I think what, what Stacey Abrams and, and her team was able to achieve in Georgia, they yeah. had to bring that into Florida. I think in Florida, you know, we talk about the the you know the the right wing talking points coming out of last Wednesday. When by Wednesday morning it was clear what was happening. If you talk, if you followed or had you know political people before in your echo chamber you they were gonna they told you this was gonna happen we're gonna go to bed tuesday night it was gonna look like trump was gonna be winning it was gonna reverse on the other end but then tuesday night there were stories there was a a water main burst in a at the atlanta falcon stadium where they had a in in, a, in the city of atlanta where it's gonna be very much a pipe burst it's a brand new stadium Twenty-seven thousand, twenty-seven 27% of mail-in ballots in Florida have disappeared. And I kept following that story because it's such an interesting story because Florida was pretty thin on the margin. Sure. And
3: but not that at the end of the day, Chris. Like right now, no. and I'm looking at the map again, and it's, what they said was the difference in Florida, at least on Tuesday night, was that the Cuban vote broke more for Trump than they thought it would.
0: That was mm-hmm. overrated, I, overstated, I think.
3: But when, And then in the rest of the state, in all of the red counties, it actually was closer than it was in 2016. But when you look at the map of Florida right now, Jacksonville's yeah. blue, Tallahassee's blue, Orlando's blue, Tampa's blue, and Miami and West Palm Beach are blue, and everything mm-hmm. else is red. It's funny
0: you just listed off the only places to visit in Florida. Oh, you've never done the spring training route, then. <laughs>
2: I've
0: done. I did Dunedin. I've done Jupiter, and that's it. Dunedin <laughs> and Jupiter. Ever been to Disney World? Pardon me. Have you never been to Disney World? I've been to Disney World, but again, I, I'm, I was too much of a, a That kid should be its understand. own
1: jurisdiction, though, like really. It like, is. It's a happy know.
0: place. You don't have to be <laughs> red blue
1: there. You, no, you can't right. be like, oh, I've been to Disney World. I've been to Orlando. I was like, I could I've not tell to- you anything about Orlando. I've been to Disney World a bunch. <laughs> I've
0: been to China. I've been to Epcot Center. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. uh, I know. Although I haven't been to Miami. I've been to Jacksonville. I've been to Orlando, Tampa. I've never been to Tallahassee either, but I've heard good things. If you watch, if you watch enough college football, Tallahassee starts being in your vernacular. Yeah. Um, I have the second of those uh, Chris's intense political questions for you. You guys were, we were talking about what's the future of the two party system. I think that's been very popular in the last couple of years. I think if you look at the young politicians that are going to be influencing legislator and, and, you know, voting voters rights for the next two decades, it's clear they have a different idea in mind. Do you think we're at a point in 10 years where there's four parties, extreme right, progressive left, and the two centrists battling over the same two things because they're going to refuse to ever die out?
3: I think back to Ross Perot. And I know that wasn't a party. It was an individual. But the way that Ross Perot opened the door for Bill Clinton eating into at least conventional wisdom at the time was, was this, that was what happened. I don't know if that's the case now that they look back on, Mm -hmm. but I, I think that the fear of a democratic socialist party eating into democratic votes and leading authority rule is probably enough to prevent that from happening. So, See, I, I agree so. with
0: that. I agree with what you just said. I I feel like what these, you know, you talk about the squad or you talk about like you know any of the newer progressive uh, house reps that were were nominated, and Bernie's message, Bernie Sanders's message in general. Walter and I were talking about this the other day. It's really just a version of what we have here. He's across the, right, the board. The right of what we
3: have here because he's pro gun.
0: Yeah, like it's it's not like this fucking regime and yeah. we're all going to have one website to go to and one grocery store to go to like let's let's pump the brakes a bit but there at one point people have to wake up and see how much the system is stacked for mega corporations. Right. But and
3: how we, much right now was when Americans were and Canadians too were lining up to go to the grocery store and not able to get to the taper so let's yeah. not shoot ourselves, right? I mean, I've been to um I've been to Havana. I've been to grocery stores in Cuba. It's not it's not the fourth circle of hell
1: that America No, I know. Is. I know. Yeah, just America though has an even harder time, I think, getting their head around that because they spent most of the last not fifty years, I guess but well, we are have, putting you some have, space in there. But lucky. they you know, they had the Cold War, right? Like like well. they, they vilified socialism. Yes. And like, like they they turned communism, made socialism have, synonymous Keith, with it, and Keith, then it was their on, arch enemy.
0: Keith, you have CIA agents for democratic fucking house seats. CIA agents, and, and like we we're gonna sit here and we're gonna call every fucking QAnon crazy, and they fucking are. They got some nerve. But we're gonna <laughs> call them all crazy, and we're gonna like just willfully pretend that a CIA agent could be a reputable politician. <laughs> like the fuck I'm no, I don't know what i Throw saying. it all out. Throw it all out. Keith. I did that, a, that was- tweet, a-, a tweet that I saw this
2: week
3: that said, "Oh, they're attempting a coup. It's nice to see them doing it in their own country for once."
0: Yes. Oh, I think anybody in Bolivia would have repeated that many times, many times over. Well-
3: I love North the- North of central America and, and a lot of, America. lot of places around the world. And, and yeah. that's it. We grow up and we're so heavily influenced by America that until we pick up a, a Howard Zinn textbook, we don't really. Re- ju- oh, it's like
0: today. And he just laughed yeah. it off. Tonight,
3: well, He didn't laugh it off as much as he did what they all do. He, he went yeah. with the party line. Yeah. <laughs> And if he's forced to at a certain point, him or one of his assistants will say, oh, he was just joking. But there's a lot of shit that these people are just joking about that has come true. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they, you know, there, are, there are twice as many kids who have been separated from their parents than came out of the story last week. It's much closer to 600 where they can't find the parents. Uh, like that stuff just makes me so sick. And you can people be like, well, Obama did it and they put people in jail at the borders. They didn't separate families. They didn't separate families. They didn't separate parents from children, leave children languishing in jails and then deport the parents back to Honduras. There's a level of cruelty that we have seen from this that is reminiscent of things that, that you don't even want to think about. That you there's no level of joking about a Stephen Miller.
1: Like it, it no. sounds like it's when you describe it, you it sounds like you're describing like war crimes. But yes. you know, like you, you would you would hope humanity has gotten past. Well, these are, know? Like,
2: we know, they, but we know yeah.
3: they, have. we know they, right, have. Of course, I mean, this is a government that that aided and abetted um, when an American journalist or at least a journalist who
0: lived in America mm-hmm. had his head cut off at an embassy. Yeah, at, I, I, yeah, I mean, that was. That was just swept right. under the news cycle, eh? Well,
3: no, it, it was there. And a lot of people were upset about it. But I was having this conversation with, with my dad earlier. They have flooded us with so much. Every day has been something, 10 things, that it's impossible to keep track of. And I'll tell you guys, I'm exhausted. Now, and the only exhausted you think- it was so nice. I popped a bottle of champagne with my girlfriend after Biden spoke. And we just sat there. And and for for a minute I breathed, and then I thought, okay, he's not out yet. What craziness are we going to see over the next seventy days? And it's already starting. There was a part of me that was happy for three days that they didn't know who the winner was because I was sure it was going to be Biden, and it meant three fewer days of total corruption and crazy pardons. But now they're holding on, and they're firing people. They fired uh, Mark Esper. Sect F.
0: Yeah. F, yeah. Gone. Just, and I
3: don't know why we're surprised. It's just another norm being thrown out the window, like we've seen for the last four years. But um, it's exhausting to keep up
0: with this shit. To, is- to the the level of the level of craziness it takes, just after an election to fire your Secretary of Defense, so the Secretary of Defense can't prepare as as stupid as he probably is to begin with, because he's on this team. But the fighter, secretary of defense so the transition can't be smooth just in terms of defense is is so, is so insane. I had another one for you of my uh, Chris's intense. Uh, oh, man,
1: before before you jump to that one, something I've thought about a long time and uh, oh. for basically the whole the whole four years of the Trump presidency. But something that just to, to tag up what Dave, what Dave just said is that it was one thing after another. And I like couldn't help but thinking like I'm wondering, like, was it intentional? So, like, for instance, when we're talking about the uh, the, the, the Saudi journalist or whatever, you know that it, the, the news cycle is only going to be able to be on it for two days because he's going to say or do something insane. So I'm like, was it like when they talk about all the leaks in the Trump White House? Part of me just looked at it and I was like, oh, this is on purpose. It's just a barrage of things so that we can't process any of it. So we can't pick and choose what's actually a scandal and should be focused on because they're dropping them daily essentially like we can't we can't nobody has time to process it or digest it because the next one's already coming like do you think that that was almost on purpose i i don't know if it's i don't know if that's too clever by half or
3: not i think but i think that it's part of i think that's part of the authoritarian playbook i don't and, know if it's donald trump's idea but I think it's, I, but I think it's part of the playbook. It's part of the playbook that we've seen in, author, in authoritarian governments around the world. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem, of course, is, is the polarization in society. Yeah. So we have one set of media pulling their hair out and saying, you know, with the the dog sitting there with his coffee, going, "This is fine." Well, the fire's all around you. Yeah. And then <laughs> the other side that can't let go of Hillary Clinton. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I, have, I have a buddy who, fall, who falls directly into that uh, into that category, who is very, very much in terms of like, this is what the Dems did. This is what the Dems did. But I'm like, there is a thing like uh, Chris Rock did the, the did SNL a couple weeks ago. And he, and he was just like he uh, he said something that was like, obviously, a gross oversimplification of everything. But he was like, I think Joe Biden should be the next president. And I also think he should be the last president because he's like, we need a new system like entirely. You know, and I was like, I think that that's what a lot of people kind of latch onto, And I think a lot of Trump voters latch on to that is it's not to say that, like, Joe Biden winning was like a victory for democracy. Like it was. But that's just because there was a fascist in charge. We've just kind of gone back to the status quo. and the stat, But the status quo isn't exactly, you know, like gumdrops and gold played Like, no, of but, course you know, it like, like that's where that's what we're talking about. It's like there. But the current president also hasn't fully let go yet. Oh,
2: yeah. we, we
3: when when George H W Bush lost, mm-hmm. he had Clinton over to the White House, and when Clinton lost, he had Bush over to the White House, and when Bush lost, he had Obama over to the White House. And when Obama lost, he had Trump over to the White House, and mm-hmm. Trump is saying, "Fuck you, I won." Yeah, and that's not normal. And and I get that it's it's
0: like the seventh well, Dave. If you look at the numbers on Tuesday. I mean, I'm up. I'm up everywhere. I'm winning. Everything's great. To stop it there, and I'm president again. And I just want to go back to watch Clemson Notre Dame on Saturday without worrying about the numbers. Well, I think that, that that's it's the crazy wrong. part, though. Yeah, but, and, and
3: I guess if if you knew that you were going to face prosecution and mm. the complete like destruction of your, of your, whether it's an empire made of dust or not, your empire is going to go away. You know, you act like this, people are going to be pissed. There's, there's no, you can't can't pardon yourself. Well, there's an argument (laughs) that you might be able to.
0: And There's ways there's also ways he could secure it. And that's what I fear he's doing. Every, I don't think he, in his heart, first of all, the thing about Donald Trump is that he's not stupid. He's a lot of things. But he's not stupid. He knows what's, what's happening. There's no way he doesn't know that he's leaving in January. I think two things he's either trying his hardest to make sure that he's got no charges coming to him, at least federally, because they can't take care of all the state charges that are going to come his way, but he's going to ask for, he wants to be part of that president's club because nothing he cares about more than his image and his popularity. I thought I thought I watched the Comey rule, which was released a couple of months before the election. And there was a line in there by a subordinate of James Comey talking to to, to Comey about going to visit Trump for the first time. And he was saying, Donald Trump doesn't care if people don't like him. He cares if somebody important has something to say about him. So half the country could hate him. He won't care. But if big people hate him or don't want to associate with him. Then he's going to, he has a vendetta to to go after. You could argue that that's the whole reason he was elected in the first place, is because Obama made fun of him at a correspondence dinner in 2012 and said, fuck you, I'll show you. Um, And in a way, he did. He did it in his own fucking way, but he did.
1: Fueled by spite. Uh,
0: Spite is a powerful motivator. It is. It's not something that, it's not, that's not a right or left thing. It's just spite is a powerful (laughs) motivator. I think he's either going to go full bore on, on the network and and try to, you know, go to the right of Fox News and deny until he dies, get wheeled out on the fucking cart out of the White House. Or he's going to talk to Biden in a couple of weeks and be like, you know, Joe. Pardon let me. A, let a couple of things slide. Invite me to the President's Club dinners and we're good. We're good. <laughs> I'm going to make my library. So Gerald, the-
3: Ford, Gerald Ford pardoned Nixon yeah and gerald ford got a world of shit for it mm-hmm. he, was, he was not respected americans were angry and he believed that america needed to move forward in order to to get out of those dark years similar position ford held uh, kept a piece of paper in his pocket for the rest of his life that explained that if you pardon someone it means that the person being pardoned has to admit all guilt so yes he pardoned nixon and nixon was allowed to to live his life unabated but nixon admitted that he stole information from the democratic national committee from the dnc from the that he ordered those guys to break into the watergate hotel mm-hmm. that he had i mean nixon admitted his crime i don't know if donald trump is going to do that
1: Would well, nixon you never you never was? know cuz the, the 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 what do you call it? the the woodward interviews were very eye opening to the fact that there is two there are two donald trumps sure Right. Like like so you and I mean, and he that was that blew my mind when all of when when COVID happened, when when that went down, where you're like, oh, he he doesn't believe his bullshit. Like, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't believe his bullshit. Of course, he doesn't believe his bullshit, which is why it's so frustrating to see,
3: you know, I love the poorly uneducated. mm -hmm. Like that's it's everything is so blatantly obvious Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. me. And it's that it's, it's, been, it's been not blatantly obvious to everyone, and the people that are being used and have so much hate in their hearts that they they can't, for a second, think about the the sake of the country. That it's about this guy looks out for me, and you know what? I would I would get mad at them in a way that would probably not be good for my health. But mm-hmm. when this happens time and time again when no one stands up for you and someone fills that vacuum they go a long way I think yeah. what surprises us as canadians or blue staters in the us is that there was this blissful ignorance there was this thought that that obama was president and the arc of history was only going going up. to be more and more progressive no. yeah whoops do you, do you think is this hard hitting question number 3
0: zapping uh, No, it's not really hard-hitting. Do you think... This is question number three, though? This is question number three. Oh. Do you think Nixon would have accepted defeat, uh, accepted guilt, admitted guilt, excuse me, and moved on so peacefully, basically, after it was all said and done, if he lived in an internet world? Oh.
3: I think a lot of the things that Nixon tried to do would have worked even more in an internet world. and, and Nixon, That's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah Nixon won re-election. Yeah. Nixon, and, and this is a conversation I had with my best friend the other night. 1968, you could argue, was even more messed up than 2020.
0: If you ask Abby Hoffman.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched uh, the uh, the Sorkin yet. It's yet? very Sorkin-y. Okay, uh, nice.
0: If you're if you're a fan of any of Aaron Sorkin's work, it's very. I, mean, Sorkin-y.
3: I that thing, but I I was you know it was half my life ago that I watched it. I don't I, I, I have a funny
0: thing. I, I hate, hate watching it now. I love watching him, Aaron Sorkin, but I also hate watching Aaron Sorkin. It's like I'm, I'm a big fan of his, and when he's at his best, when he's playing like LeBron, it's, be- it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> when he's when he's going through the motions, when it's it's like the first season of Newsroom, it's the third season of Newsroom. You know, it's. It's, it's it's blasé. It's tough. So but it's uh, that whole story at sixty eight is very interesting. Can I ask? Can I ask
3: a question? Can I flip it? I'm just so, I'm so used to being the one asking. Go questions. ahead. Why do you both care so much about this? Well, so I,
1: I it's funny because I the, one of the last questions before we moved over to to the to the wrap up session of the of our of our show was how. And before I answer that question, to answer you, ask you another question, how does someone like yourself get enamored with American politics to the point where you make it a career? We're just armchair idiots, Chris and I, who <laughs> just watch, it, I watch had an a lot election, of news.
0: I had an election night special that was an hour and a half.
1: Oh, June, you're a pundit so now, brother. <laughs> the, answer, the
3: answer to that for me is that it's, it's not it, – long before I made money off of talking politics, I was interested in it. Yeah. and all you have to do and again this doesn't work for the fact that this is an audio podcast but look at the books on the shelf behind me mm-hmm. and, it, and it speaks to the fact there's a book under here that i remember getting when i was seven or eight years old called the president's from washington to reagan and you can tell i was young because i drew over reagan's face with a green highlighter
1: huh? <laughs> but i was gonna say with this this is like on your Christmas wish list. You're like, dear Santa, please bring me the president's
3: book. No, it was, it was, uh, one of my, one of my mom's friends uh, bought it for me, I guess on a trip to the States because she knew I was into it. And it was like, but into it was, was what it was watching Jeopardy or it was um, being influenced. Like, I, I can't believe he's coming back again in this conversation, but Michael J. Fox is Alex P. Keaton. Mm-hmm. And his, it was cool to pay attention to politics. It was on Sunday mornings, watching the McLaughlin Group with my parents. And, and politics was sport in my house. growing up. And there were things, in, like, I remember when um, when John Turner said to Brian Mulroney uh, that by signing on to NAFTA, you were going to be selling Canadians up the river. And I mm-hmm. I remember it being, like, a big deal in my house when I was a little kid. But shit like that felt like it was every day watching Dan Rather. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was – part of what fascinated me as a kid so it's just it's an extension of that but then studying American politics in university and having this wonderful professor who showed me that things weren't as black and white as I thought they were and Mm -hmm. look over here on the shelf there are a ton of books about slavery in the civil war Mm -hmm. and it's just not stuff that you learn about when you're when you're learning that America is the greatest country in the world.
2: Yeah.
0: I've so, always- I think that's what it is to answer your question. I think what leads some people, and I think that's what led me into being fascinated by American politics. I, I enjoy following Canadian politics. I think it's relatively boring compared to what's happened the last four years. And even before I think it's very vanilla in general. But oh, the power the power versus
1: NFL, you know whatever. No,
0: the power structure <sighs> of our government is different compared to what it is in the States and the equal arms in the States and what the Senate means. And basically like the Senate is the whole country. It doesn't matter who's the president really. It's who mm-hmm. controls the Senate controls the country. Um, but like similar to you were saying, Dave, it's it, when I, uh, my, when some of my youngest memories are, you know, 1996, 25, whatever the referendum we're living yeah. in, La, we're living in Laval at the time where we're Italian families in Laval. And, but my father's putting up big Canadian flags out the door. <laughs> like, yeah, we're, and we're Canadian, we're, and, we're, and we're, you know, we're, we're worried about shit at night. We're like, why why is this all this shuffling? What's happening? And, and, and we then we all
3: moved in Toronto, and that was the conversation of my house in 1995. Was if if the West Side wins, we're going to 401. We, we don't that's
0: what we did, and we ended up in Dollard. It was the same. thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is far enough. Let's let's stop here. It's so I'm far away high. from the, from Saint Laurent. I mean, it was just the
3: anniversary of the, it was the 25th yeah. anniversary of the referendum. And it's, uh, there's a wonderful book by Jean Hébert. If you want to, if you want to read a book about Canadian politics that's as exciting as stuff about American politics, I think it's called The Day After. And it's it's pretty much a what would have happened TikTok with interviewing Lucien Bouchard and interviewing um, Jean Chrétien and uh, Daniel Johnson and Jean Charest. And it's an incredible Oh my God, we were so close. The Liberals were so unprepared. Mm-hmm. They back, and as we could see. But yeah, I was, I was in grade nine. I, I remember going downtown, skipping school in the afternoon, and going to the rally. And I remember a couple of days later having a few friends over. And you know, you know, from my Twitter feed, Chris, I'm a massive Simpsons fan. Yeah. The only Simpsons episode that I could place to a specific date was the Treehouse of Horror that aired before the referendum coverage started. And mm-hmm. it was one where Homer is, enters the 3D world but ends up on Earth and goes to buy a, an erotic cake. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah but every other episode, I've seen, this, I've seen every episode of seasons 2 through 10 of The Simpsons hundreds of times. And whenever that one comes on, I know that I saw that one the night of the referendum. Every other one is bored. It's either I saw it and then I saw it on CBC with Dennis Trudeau being like the news is next, but here's the Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only one that sticks with me. And because that night was a night where everything was on the line. And I guess maybe it's the media machine and maybe it's just the the of America. But it feels like when there's an election in America, every time it's got that level of intensity that the referee did.
0: Mm. That's funny because there was a quote going around last Monday until Tuesday. It was during the Nixon presidency. And it was um, Hunter Z. Thompson was talking about how every, it seems like every election is becoming the most important election we've ever voted for in our lives. And it's like hopefully down the road one day we're no longer voting in the most important election of our lifetimes. And then you look at 2008, what the landscape was then the Tea Party in 10, and then into 12 against Romney, how that was the most important election of our lifetime. Then in 16, it was the most important election of our lifetime. And now Ooh. this year, it's the most important election of our lifetime. And I wonder, I guess this is the last hard-hitting question, I wonder how many more times could we do this and shit on the poorest part of that population? I'm talking we as in the States. How could how could they continue talking to, about
1: brinksmanship, Chris?
0: No, how could they continue to say this is the most important part of our election of our lifetime and then not give any tangible infrastructure or help to the the largest percentage of people that are poorer yeah. in the states now than ever before. Living paycheck to paycheck. It's incredible and it's keeps happening and there is a sense of people down there that say no matter what happens, no matter who we vote for, it's not going to change our day-to-day lives m- much anymore. I think that's the shittiest part of this whole—it's fun, it's entertaining, this p- U.S. politics, but to really live down there and to know that, yeah, Trump is gone and he's crazy, but Biden's not going to do anything different than p- mm. p- policy-wise and what he was doing. Do you believe that? I think it's hard, for, it's, it's hard to argue against that only because of certain— uh, there's obviously certain things he's going to do. He's going to put them back into NAFTA. He's going to put them back into the Paris Agreement.
3: And if anything, if anything NAFTA is updated and probably not going to change too much.
0: The Paris Agreement does nothing for Joe and Jim in Mississippi. But it that's is- what I'm saying. Or, but- or people in Atlanta who voted for Biden. Or people in Arizona that voted so for Biden. Here's or- what it does. does. $15 an hour minimum
3: wage. Yeah. That's a tangible but he, difference. But can you in-
1: make that happen without the Senate? No, well, that, 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 that's the big thing, right? Is something like, and we watched that with Obama. Like, if you're like, if he Obama can't even make pro-
0: masks happen as a federal mandate without forget 15 minimum wage. Without the Senate, he he could make executive orders, but states don't have to follow them unless they're ratified by the Senate. And the yeah. Senate won't ratify any of these things, whether it's minimum wage, whether it's fucking um, you know public health care options or a mask mandate, <laughs> like just that. <laughs> in itself the states that are not having mass mandates are not going to change their mind ron DeSantis is not about to be like you know what coronavirus is a problem let's try to fix it
3: i have not heard of one american red or blue who has said i hate the obamacare the aca i hate it i hate it i hate it oh wait you mean i lose my health insurance off this you mean i now have to pay for the surgery there are things that a president can do. And I think that the last four years proved it might not... Yeah, the Senate, way.
1: though. Like, that that's the thing, is I was like, I think, and I think that that's one of the, the weird parts about the, I guess, the whole narrative of it, is I was like, everybody is rightfully vilifying Trump, but I'm just sort of like, I'm like, you need to put the little devil horns drawings on Mitch McConnell, and... The, oh, they're there. They're there. I, I think they're there for... A, anyone who knows what's going on but i don't think that that's everybody i think there's a lot of people who are like we got rid of trump like you know how much money they spent on here.
0: trying to you know how much money they tried to they spent the d the d triple c on trying to unseat mitch mcconnell in kansas or kentucky yeah. sorry yeah. How yeah. Much, the amount of money they poured into that fucking race they lost the guy's biggest politician in a lifetime and i say <laughs> that without an, ins, an ounce of respect for him but yeah. look at how he's changed the the uh, the landscape just in terms of what he's put on the Supreme Court and federal judges in the – not just the last four years, but going back to even a couple of years before, we're blocking Merrick Garland, putting all those federal judges on that change voting rights registrations and, and it did more gerrymandering than ever before. Yeah. That's Mitch McConnell, and that's going to be what he continues to do until he finally goes to Palpatine status. The
3: narrative of, of our lifetime watching American politics is that the Republicans are Lucy holding the football, and the Democrats are Charlie Brown. And every time the Charlie yeah. Brown lines up to kick the field goal, Lucy pulls it away. And every time Charlie Brown comes back thinking, well, she's gonna keep it there this time. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know I'm I'm obviously so one sided on this. Mm-hmm. But the Republicans play to win and they do an incredible job at it. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you're gonna see that level of vindictiveness from the from the Democratic Party. I just well, they made that, that they've made, they
0: made that clear already. They've made that clear already. With, even today, Biden, with the talks of bringing the country together, unity, the furthest he, w- he went was saying Trump's embarrassing himself. But like that's like saying but you know, Trump woke up. That's like Trump woke up this morning. Yeah, OK, of course he is. But like, if you can't find
3: a way to unify the country, then they're fucked.
0: Yeah. There, there, are,
3: there are 71 million people on one side and 75 million on another. Yeah, the house. Seventy-one million
0: people saw this and went. You know what? Four more years of this, please, kind of tells you that at a certain point you're at a point of no return with that.
3: I was in um I was in Jamaica at a resort just before the world got locked down, and it was full of Americans. And I I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to really not talk politics this week and and. And, you know, you're sitting by the pool and you're a couple of pina coladas deep. And suddenly the guy from Kansas is like, so what do you think of President Trump? And you want to try and be diplomatic, but like, I'm not, I'm not. And I, and I would say my, my, you know, 10 second response would be, he's an embarrassment. And they would say, you should see my 401k. Yeah. So well, I mean, it, they, well, yeah, but he's he's probably not, not that, on his right? first like,
0: vacation of the year. But sure. it's March, but, but he's in Jamaica. It's not his first vacation of the year. If he's talking about his 401k, and yep. that's the stuff that will never not um, these people will never not get it. That and that's
1: that's the biggest problem, Chris, is that like, like if you're going to talk about like your worst case scenario, and obviously I think like the doomsayers throw it out is they they throw out that it's going to be a civil war. And I was like, "Well, I have real bad news for you on Civil War. Is that like one side's really well armed? <laughs> like just straight up, it's down the middle, and there's one side that's very pro-gun, and one side is like pro-gun control. What if I? Then the other then the, mean, other, the other side, and the, and that's that's the same side that a lot of you know military high-ranking military officials are on, are on that same side, and also giant like billionaire oil investors are also on that side. But what if, if it, it gets violent, it's what
2: if very it bad.
3: Is what it is now." What if the yeah. Civil War be- does not become people wearing uniforms, gray and blue uniforms, but what we see today? And it's
1: online a cold yeah. Civil War where there are two Hopefully Americans. it never gets too violent, honestly. like while- I, I mean, obviously, like, like that that's what I'm saying is, I mean, I really, I'm obviously saying I absolutely don't want that. But it's just that, like, when things do escalate or if not when they do, if things do escalate into violence, it, it horrifies me because there's one side that is been preparing for violence do you know what i mean like like that when that's when
2: things
3: escalate to violence we're talking about one of the most violent countries in the world already right? exactly
1: they're a country that solved everything they've ever done with violence like like that's how things get done in america
3: i don't see a civil war being an organized event i think that we are in a cold civil war right now yeah that yeah it's and an information war. Out of the the way out of that problem is is education and giving everybody a fair shot. So something mm-hmm. like a $15 minimum wage can probably do a lot more to heal the nation than is being given credit for.
0: Ah, I think yeah, so. I, uh, the And 70% of the country, according to a Fox News exit poll, 70% of that country, of most probably Republican voters on Election Day, have said $15 minimum wage is the way to go. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, but, and, that's abortion. a big number. People people debts, that's,
1: that's, that's the thing that terrifies me about the Senate, right? Is that we have the same thing where it was like 70% of the country thought uh, that they shouldn't nominate uh, the the Supreme Court vacancy. Yeah, yeah, like, like there was like that was by like the America thought that that was off. And that's Trump supporters and like Biden supporters. Everybody knew that was off. But. When you're sitting on the House, well, you're not on the House, but when you have the Senate and you have the president, you could steamroll that and it's just going to happen. And now the, that's, where I, that's where I get, I mean, like to, to we, to we said it before, is Biden still doesn't have the Senate. So he's going to be smashing into Mitch McConnell and the, the Senate Republicans.
3: Georgia can still turn blue. And, and now the two elections in Georgia for both Senate seats in Georgia, which I think is on the 5th of January, yeah, just as important as what we saw happen last Tuesday. Mm mm-hmm.
0: My, yes. only, my only issue with the runoffs in Georgia, one of them was incredibly tight, yep. like 49-49. So they have a shot at winning at least one. The other one, and it's the WNBA owner there, Kelly yeah, Lothler, yeah. who's just a terrible human being. He, she is, you know, nothing she says has ever been anything with her
3: The virus hitting America. Shorted she the did. She did.
0: She had a, a Republican uh, to her moderate Take votes from her, and that's why it was. It looked like a Canadian outcome. It was like yes, twenty-seven, 30, 30,
3: 20, twenty-four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but the guy that he's running against? Do you know anything about him?
0: I know. He's, I know the. I know he's. You know, he's a, he's a young black, I think a black lawyer. No, he's a, a ref- black activist. Reverend. He's
3: yeah. Okay. He's the head preacher at what was Dr. Martin Luther King's pulpit.
0: Hmm. She's got a shot in Atlanta, is what you're saying.
3: I'm saying he's got a shot more than just Atlanta because he cannot just appeal
0: to African-Americans, but he can appeal to Christians of good conscience. Mm. Yeah, I don't know how many more Christians of good conscience there are in the South. I'm not, I'm not even saying that as a dig. I'm just saying, like, again, if you saw what happened in the last four years, this is why I am mystified that it was this close. You saw the last four years. How you could be any type of patriot and say this is what's good for the country is four more years of this. It's, I don't think that's that's beyond unity. That that's, to, that's that's a, that's a fracture. That's not
1: to, to tie this. to tie it into talking at the beginning when you were saying like who could have called this? A buddy of mine uh, started the. Other pandemic. Than everybody who called this, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Other than everybody who called this, a buddy of mine started. Uh, started the pandemic in uh rural Oregon, Ashland Oregon, so about like 6 hours south of Portland and is currently in the pandemic living with his in-laws in uh in Idaho. Okay. And so it's like who could call that like that guy. Yeah. yeah. He w- he was like cuz I live it. He's like yeah. he's like it's yeah. it's like he's like he's like when you're wondering who these people are and he's like and it's weird and it, and again he's saying he wasn't necessarily going to say Trump is going to win or whatever. But he's like, who's going to call it 50-50? He's like, when you're in those rural areas, he's like, arguments, not necessarily violent, but arguments break out every time you're in a store. Someone's Someone's wearing the wrong pin. Someone's wearing the wrong hat someone can't bite their tongue. And he's like, I'm not even, and this is like where the the left also can go pretty violent and crazy. <laughs> you know, like, like j- just, so he's like, he's like, every time he's like, yeah, there's a the there-
0: difference between a fucking American flag pin and a swastika pin. though."
1: With, with, without a doubt, but it's not always, like, it's not always that. Right. But it's just like, he's like, you're just going grocery shopping. And he's like, there's a feeling that you're a split second away from an argument. Yeah, but like you sec- know, what I was- the second MAGA hat walks in, or the second
3: like—not last summer, but the summer before—I went to Washington D.C. I've got a good buddy there, and we went to go see the Stones. Mm-hmm. And um, it was over July Fourth, and I didn't really want to do anything to like, like I wasn't going to go see the president speak. I wasn't going to go take part in all that bullshit. <laughs> really?
2: But really? Morning,
3: yeah, really. I-, I went for El Salvadorian food that night. I But the next day, I had a few hours to kill before I had to get to the airport, and I decided I would go to the Holocaust Museum.
2: Mm.
3: It almost felt like penance—like I'm going to America to have a good time. Let me go and feel awful about the world as I'm on my way out the door. Mm. And as I was leaving, there was a crowd of people lined up to get in, all wearing "Make America Great Again" hats. And obviously, I come from like a really vulnerable spot. I can remember seeing photos of my family tree on my dad's mom's side where entire branches were wiped out by the holocaust but i'd like to think that it doesn't you don't have to have lost someone in the holocaust in order to see how fucked up it is right uh, Especially when you when you walk into a room that's just like people's shoes
1: mm-hmm. or um I started to you don't you don't need to have a relative for like the atrocity to resonate like that's not I
3: I wanted to yell at these people and I just I just started to cry and I, I called my dad and I had him he kind of talked me off the ledge a bit but after spending two hours on a tour of this museum and seeing what propaganda can do and seeing what that that nonstop barrage Every day there's something, and to the point there's so much that people can't keep up, and then, holy shit, look what happens. There's a Holocaust.
2: Mm -hmm. And to
3: see people lined up wearing that hat felt so weird. I I asked somebody who worked there as I was waiting for my Uber to get me the hell out of there, like, do you see this all the time? And he said, yeah, but i got to be honest with you, it's just a souvenir here. It's something you buy – like at those sports stores that sell HAB stuff on St. Catherine Street. If yeah. you do that, yeah. then it's Nationals hats and Capitals hats and the Washington football team stuff, they hadn't changed the name yet. <laughs> and make America Great Again hats. And that really messed me up. I when you mentioned the not being aware of the divide before, and I don't know how much time we have left, but I'm sure you guys spent a lot of time watching political commercials like I did during the last the last couple of months.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I saw a ton of uh, Elise Stepanek doesn't care about the troops.
0: And oh, that was a fucking yeah. great one. What's that and Paxton,
2: but Paxton Tedra
3: is a socialist and she wants to take your guns. And watching that from here, I was like, okay, well, Tedrakov's going to win the landslide. Elise Stepanek took 65% of the vote.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: 64.3 to 35.7. She has the 21st District in New York State, and it runs all the way along the Vermont-New York border from Quebec to Albany, and then all the way west to just south of Kingston. It's this mm-hmm. massive swath of land. It's Plattsburgh. It's it's anything north of Syracuse and Albany, mm-hmm. not Syracuse and Albany. It's the Adirondacks. It's Yeah. It's the small town America that that I've driven through and seen the American flags and the Trump um, banners. Yeah. And yet you drive out of it and you drive into
1: Manhattan, and then suddenly it's 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 just well, it's 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 crazier than that, really, Whoa. right? Because, like you said, it's also touching Vermont. You know, like it's also touching Canada. Like, like we, my, my wife and I had a similar thing. We drove up um, during, in 2016. Uh, we did like a big maritime road trip <laughs> and uh, we like we went up through Quebec City, down through the Canadian Maritimes and then came in through Maine and then went up through state uh, up through the states. Uh-huh. And literally it ver- like and we did like the, the back highway drives like we weren't just like staying on the interstates and whatever. Sure. We were doing all these like rural roads and like literally from county to county. It was like a switch depending on where we were of either the Clinton signs. You drive for five minutes upward in another county. Trump signs. Yes. drive like forward Clinton signs. And it's not like there was no mix, <laughs> you know, like it was, it wasn't like one, one side had Trump signs and one side had Clinton signs. It really varied from literally county to county, area to area. Like what you're saying in there, like that, that, that Northern New York, uh, New York uh, voter district. You're like, you, you think of Vermont. Oh, they Vermont vote is Bernie state. It's fine. You think of Canada. Well, Canada is this and that. And you're like, no, it's not that like, it, it doesn't matter what you're close to it matters to what this town thinks. You know, and and how much does that boil down to the thing that I started thinking about? How much does that boil down to the fact that they're like it's like the local leadership at that point? It's the members of the clergy. It's the mayor of the town. It's the principal of the school. It's whatever else. It, it, It takes a very small number of like a couple of authority figures in a small area who are suddenly kind of like setting not necessarily policy, but at least like setting like political leanings for an entire group of area. And it's only got small people, and they're not even the f- at the federal level at all. It's just a couple of old-timey guys who run the show in this small little area.
3: By the end of the campaign for the New York 21st, Elise Stepanek was going on TV with commercials that were saying, hey, I'm not besties with President Trump. I work with the other side. I promise you that I'm going to do everything to work with Democrats in Congress to get stuff done for you, New York. Yeah. And Edricob Cobb was like, I'm going to reach across the aisle, and I'm going to stand up to my party when they're too radical, and I'll never defund the police because I know what it's like to have northern New York values.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just appealing to them. Not
3: a
0: great strategy, Tedra.
3: <laughs> Gun grabbing, Tedra.
0: Texan Tedra. Uh, I, I will say it, it, it brings up a funny point. You look at Maine. I think Maine was, what, 58, 30, 50 whatever?
3: Susan Collins, 50 to
0: 42. And for no, as what I'm saying. For the, it, went, it was heavily presidential dem, and then Susan Collins won her Senate seat. So you're you're punishing, rightfully, the president of the last four years. You're rewarding one of the main people, ironically in Maine, uh, who enabled that president for the last four years. Yeah,
3: but she would she would think long and hard before making decisions.
0: So. Oh fuck, I think long and hard before I fig- figure out. what you you, you heard, heard like her name so pasta. much. Yeah,
1: you heard her name so much because she waited two days. To make every one of her uh, her support announcements, I'm gonna right? fucking
0: pray on it. Yes, <laughs> yes, Susan. Yeah, fucking pray on it.
1: Yeah. Oh, just the, the 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 right amount of money appeared in my bank account and my prayer who do you, ended, Right? Who
0: knew you, you'd make John McCain seem like a fucking hero?
1: But we saw it with we saw it with Mitt Romney and uh, and Amy
3: Coney Barrett. There is a certain amount of even in the most moderate seems to be okay Republicans, At the end of the day, Donald Trump was able to serve their interests, Mm -hmm. and that's what that's what's allowed Donald Trump to continue through without being removed by his own people and his own party. It's that America divided America, with the Trump vote. A lot of those people don't necessarily go out and vote for for Mitt Romney.
0: Mm -hmm. No,
3: right, and and you know because of that, Donald Trump and the Donald Trump machine is going to have a huge um, platform. In whatever happens next. And that's terrifying. You
0: know, it's funny because I, I think if you talk to and I know we're up against it on the clock because your time is valuable, Dave. But interesting oh, ideas, nice sort of, okay, come on. Um
3: happy but to,
2: it's funny because
0: you if you if you talk to a <laughs> <laughs> if you talk to a left progressive, what are they worried about right now? The Lincoln project continuing their influence on the Democratic Party. My friends hate the Lincoln Project. I,
3: I've had the With project. reason. With reason. That, that video with Stephen Root, the, uh, the yeah. great character actor, where someone was, wakes up from a coma. And I thought it was this great video where the person wakes up from the coma and the whole family's like trying to explain everything that's messed up and what the Republican Party is like today. And all my friends are like, the Lincoln Party is the, the goddamn devil. Why are you supporting and it again, right? In the same way that the Republican Party is gonna support Donald Trump because it gets them three seats on the Supreme Court. I think a lot of Democrats are supporting the Lincoln Project because it was a wing of Republicans that was like, This is an unre- this will make our country unrecognizable.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is, and I could agree with it in theory. Is that when Amy Comey Barrett was up for nomination and all that was going down, Lincoln Party was fucking silent, and they were dead silent because ultimately, like you, Freeze. you said their interests—the Lincoln Party, the Republican interests—much like Mitt Romney's interests, yeah. they're, they're tied to a lot of what Donald Trump represents. They just don't like the way he delivers their message.
3: I mean, I think there are a lot of things in there that they really know that they find abhorrent, but oh, yeah. they now have a 6-3 swing on the Supreme Court that could change America for generation, generations to come.
0: hmm Yeah. That's uh, the other thing we should talk to the, the Trump supporters about real quick, guys. I'm like, once you get on the Supreme Court, it's for life you don't owe anything to the president that put you there.
2: So <laughs> Just a so reminder. This is this right.
0: hoping that, hey, you're going to remember me, right? If this is where Donald Trump becomes too much of a gangster and too much of a mafioso. And he's watched too much Sopranos and these guys owe me. These guys, right. they owe me. Right. They don't. You give so them a hold, lifetime job. Let's hope
3: for like Henry Hill, Donald Trump ends up Somewhere where he can only get ketchup, and they call it marinara sauce for his noodles, <laughs> and he lives the rest of his life like a schnook. And, and that would be, that would be a victory. Yes, that would, that that would, would be right now. And I know it's vindictive, but I don't give a shit because I'm, like I said, I'm exhausted, and it's yeah. it has you- prayed, it has prayed me and so many people who pay attention. Wouldn't it just be so nice to not have to pay attention? Super close. Still got to pay attention because. Because you never know what shit's being pulled.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: But
3: man, I mean, I hate to keep coming back to this, but like, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: that'd that, 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 be nice what, I, mean, like, uh, I was gonna say, I was like, I uh, I've been sleeping badly like the last couple months, but I was like, I was like, I've like, told my friends, I was like, I have been actually had a, like like better night's sleep post post the Biden win and stuff, and I was like, because I was like, at the very least. And like I said, I absolutely know the DNC has its problems and their scandals and whatever else. But I was like, at the very least, it sounds like, you know, Biden is at least like anti-racist and anti-pandemic. And I was like, and that was something that wasn't sure. I was like, and we are talking about bare minimum silver linings. He seems to, you know, like acknowledge that racism is an issue that needs to be dealing, dealt with and acknowledges that COVID-19 is an issue that needs to be dealt with. So I was like, on the whole... It feels a yeah, little. Yeah, take simpler. that as a win. You take that as a win. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like whatever you want to say about the DNC, like it's like being
0: a Knicks fan and making it and making it as the seventh seed. Like, you know, I know we got a lot of problems and like James Dolan's still around, but fuck, <laughs> we made the playoffs. You could have used the Habs there, Chris. You could have brought it local. Yeah, that's true. I just hate that hockey team so much. Oh, buddy.
3: I got to in- last <laughs> September, I got to interview Doctor Fauci. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it's pinned to the top of. I think it's still pinned to the top of my Twitter. On the top, your, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, it, honest to God, guys, I didn't know who he was. <laughs> who he was. <laughs> no joke. Like I googled him before, and my producer was like, "Okay, uh, there's a lot of been a lot of work done on um, on antivirals for AIDS, and we're coming up on around 30 years since." The drugs have been on the market and I'm going to bring you the, Nash- the head of the National Institute of Health. And I was like, oh my God, that's like, that's amazing. This person must be super smart. And I ended up talking to him about Magic Johnson because that's my <laughs> memory of being a kid and finding out about HIV AIDS was was when Magic Johnson got AIDS. Uh, got mm-hmm. and, and it was like an end of the world moment for me at the time. I was, I was a 10 year old kid or just turned 11 and thought, oh my God, Magic's going to die.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And and think? Dr. Fauci and him talking about President Trump doing a great job for AIDS. But I said to him, Bernie Sanders just said that if he's elected president in 2020, that AIDS will be, there will be no AIDS by 2024. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, can I get your thoughts on this? And he was like, honestly, I would rather not insert myself into the political conversation. And I was like, okay, I'll rephrase then. Should politicians be making promises like that? And he said, no, they absolutely should not. And I thought about that because it was a question that he has asked that has had a place in everything that we've seen in the last nine months, where Donald Trump is like, vaccines coming, vaccines coming, we're doing it, we're doing it. I, I, found it last, I right, and then last week, or I guess two weeks ago, he says he's going to fire Fauci after the election. So he still hasn't he said, done it yet, so. when, right? But when you say that the bar that Joe Biden is, is understands the pandemic and that this is a problem, that should have been the election right there. Yeah.
1: And
0: oh, yeah. Was, Fuck you! I don't have to wear a mask. Uh,
1: it's, that, that, you that's think, something-
0: do you think conversely? Do you think if Trump took? The advice of Fauci, the advice of his advisors, took the pandemic seriously. Are we looking I, at a Trump landslide in, in this election? They that's were, that's the, a narrative the, that's out
1: there, right? Fiscally, they were doing so well. Were they? That, the stock market
3: was, but Jim and Joe in Mississippi didn't have any more money in their pockets.
1: But so, so the thing is, I, I like to me is we know it was close. Like we yeah. saw it with yeah. with the pandemic, with George Floyd. With everything else, it was still close. So to me, if you remove those things.
0: I hate talking about George Floyd as having a, uh, George Floyd's death having a, a, I, it, a it place did, on though. the election. It, I, I don't know it, if it, it did. It, it's,
1: but no, but so here's the thing. So here's the thing. Here's why, why it did. And, and I, was, I was reading a, a, an article about it. Because, be, because of the pro, the, like, the Black Lives Matter, I don't know. Sorry, guys, that's my size trust. Oh, wow, watching a commercial. But they, uh, what they were saying is they were like... I actually
3: paused Jeopardy! an hour and a half ago. Like, <laughs> oh,
1: shit.
2: I'm good. so sorry. That's okay. Right. That's
1: but okay. They, they were saying like it, it absolutely did because of the fact uh, that the protests, um, a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests result in actual uh, legislative changes in a lot of places. And they were like, that as a factor to instilling the possibility that politics can work for you, at least a lot of analysts said like potentially ignited like a lot of black voters because a lot of black voters were so disenfranchised that they saw two old white people sitting there on the on the ballot and it didn't matter but because of the protests actually enacting change i think i honestly think more voters showed up because they were like hey it actually does matter stuff can change because the protests actually change certain things in certain There's
3: cities. Of down ballot stuff too, right? Like if you're when you're voting in the U.S., you have like 30 people to vote for. It's not like in Canada when we go in and we vote for a member of parliament. Yeah, you're you're voting you're for voting you're voting for, for, your Senate,
2: you're, we're, voting we're,
3: for you're voting for laws. The dog catcher, and you're voting for the aldermen, and you're voting for the judges. Yeah. And if you can change the judges, and you can change these the, the prosecutors that are standing up for the crooked cops,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know I think people saw the the reason to, to buy in and not just buy into Joe Biden, but to buy into a democracy. lot
2: democracy. Of-
1: <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like that, that's it. So I, I do absolutely believe that uh, the racial issues of 2020, potentially invigorated the vote. And I think also obviously the handling of the pandemic potentially resulted in uh, certain uh, right-leaning voters going to the left, because obviously there's a, just, we know there's a large elderly base on the right That I think maybe switched. So I think that without those two things and with the hindsight of it was still incredibly close with those two things, Trump would have won. Like going into Uh, it, I wouldn't have thought he would have necessarily won. I would have probably believed pollsters again. But now that we have the hindsight that it was still unbelievably close despite those things, I think Trump would have won if there if there was those two things did not happen. This election was was close.
0: I don't mean to cut we both off here, but this election was a lot closer because of that second point that you said about Republicans voting blue that just never happened. Mm-hmm. More Republicans voted Republican this time than they did in yeah. twenty sixteen. Yeah. It was ninety three to ninety, I think, well, and ninety I mean, in that, That's the
1: thing about uh, when they when they talked about it. It was like it was a huge voter turnout. Is because and I think that's what I threw out the, the term before, but they were like both parties are kind of in brinksmanship mode, where yeah. they're absolutely. Saying it's the most important election ever, and if we don't win this one, it's it's over. We're both both parties are saying that, so it is it rallied the numbers all up. But I believe that. I, it, yeah, I'm not saying they're wrong, I but I'm saying, but, they're, but but they're both they're both both sides are saying life. Uh, the Listen, American life as we K- know it is coming to an Tucker end. Tucker
0: Carlson. The Mayor sure. Harris, Kamala Harris versus Tucker Carlson, 2024. The Rock's going to run as an independent. And what's really going to be interesting, that's going to be the fracture of the two-party system because you're going to have the Dwayne The Johnson party. And I will, I will sell my hearts and insides to help Dwayne win the <laughs> presidency. And you could tell he's going to do it. This is Chris's uh, insider political speak. is because he, he put his he, – he gave a fucking comment on the election for the first time ever this year, oh. and he did it. A little video in a, ba- a baby, small T-shirt, really showing mm-hmm. off the pecs, in at his house. And he didn't show his mansion. No, no, he showed the bushes behind them. That is political aspiration, my friends. Dwayne the Rock Johnson, 2024. I'm ready. I'm ready. That's,
1: That's how we're well. ending this, Keith. Going to do five questions. Yeah. Skip, skip through them. You want to introduce the bit? I know it's your favorite thing to do, Chris. We do. Take this, a shit a on cool it.
0: thing. We do this really cool thing <laughs> on this podcast where we end a great hour and however many minutes of conversation with five questions that have nothing to do with what we spoke about earlier. Great. Good. Good. Nothing. It's like a so clip, question, you know? So question number one, what was your what was your hold on. <laughs> Chris has hold to go on. back to the drawing board for Hello. We've been talking for a while. Uh You're a <laughs> Uh what
3: are your thoughts sound like? What do your thoughts sound like? What do my thoughts sound like
1: yeah that's the question. What do my thoughts sound like yeah yes Yes. yes wow like, do you have there do you think in like shapes do you think in ideas? do you think in lists? do you think in monologues do you uh what into the in the mind of 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 dave koppen while you're while you're while you're putting together say like getting ready for a show or whatever else like how does how do the thoughts
3: when I'm getting ready for a show because that's that's a different question when I'm getting ready for a show um I'm I'm thinking about my my idol who was Gord Downey and I'm Mm. thinking about how to try and have a a one one hundredth of the ability to entertain and inspire Mm. that he left me feeling every time I saw him in concert
0: I think it's uh first of all it's a beautiful answer. Second of all it's more than one one hundredth of an ability to entertain um Mr. Kaufman, but that's uh you know you're doing a good job there, Dave. Exactly uh, I don't I was like I don't want
1: to understate what Dave does, but then you also don't want to understate what Gord did. So you know like No, I know <laughs> and,
0: and, and you know, a uh, frequent uh guest of and a good friend of Dave's is uh Joey Elias and uh if you don't uh like the hip in front of Joey Elias, um it's bad for your career. So Definitely hmm. um,
3: so the Joey. Yeah. Joey and I are very good friends, and and that is a uh, the fact that Joey and I were able to bond over our love of that band uh, was was and continues to be a very
1: yeah. cool thing. And what I mean, I mean, Chris was saying isn't isn't just about comedy. It's not just saying like it's gonna be bad for your comedy career. It doesn't matter what your career is if you're right. if you're dancing no, to Joey a Whatever career him. you're in, no. <laughs> it's, 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 you could be it's, a banker, it's like
0: Oh no, <laughs> hundred the, the hundred Like I don't know if you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> question number. two.
1: Yeah. Keith. Uh, what was your favorite thing to eat as a kid?
3: Huh, as a kid.
1: Yeah, I, well, and and kid is is subjective to whatever you you make of it.
3: <laughs> my um, uh, I can say that I honestly miss my grandmother's cooking. Mm. Uh, I so miss those, dish, I'm, Pardon. I said, was there a particular dish? In I, mind? I, I miss her matzo ball soup. I miss, um, I miss those Friday night dinners where there was just an abundance of food. And, um, yeah, I mean, so much of it, so much of, of food is associated with who you share it with, right? Mm-hmm. So I miss, I miss those days. I miss, I miss that a lot. And I miss my grandmother's cooking. But her matzo ball soup was off the charts awesome. Have you ever, have had ever the,
0: tried to make it?
3: No, I honestly I would have to answer the recipe. Uh,
1: but I, I don't know. Have you ever had those those moments you just talked about like a big Sunday dinner? Uh there there is like a moment, I think, in Friday, a kid's life.
0: Friday, hey, hey. Get sorry, the fucking sorry. get the big day, big day of the week right, huh? <laughs> so I was saying it might
1: be might might be different because Chris is uh is is Italian, so I feel that they're that is the family. he? Is he? uh I feel that the family, the family is often a lot more involved in preparation. But I, a, I'm I'm a disaster in the kitchen, and b, uh as a kid, I I was, you yeah, know, Chris Chris can attest, I was like outside playing or whatever while while dinners were happening. But there's like a moment I feel like where where you're growing up, where suddenly you realize what went into the spread. Sure, sure. Like, like you know what I mean. Like you're just sort of like oh, I was running around outside, and then I came inside, and there was like a, there's a three course meal, and there's a salad, and there's a soup, and there's dessert, and there's like whatever, and then suddenly you were like. Mom was working on this for all weekends, you know. Like, know, you're like this is- one
3: of the follies of youth is that you you spend your whole youth trying to get away from your family and <laughs> with your friends, and then when your family's not around anymore, you realize how much you miss it. Mm. At least for me,
0: like, my- <laughs> no, that's the you. same for me. Keith Keith uh, Keith hated his childhood. So ah, like, that's not, that's you know, my- not true. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. Like my
3: mom passed away five years ago and the, the line that dividing line from like before she was sick and we used to congregate and do these family things to after is day and night.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's yeah. day, absolutely day and night. And I, and I think about all those times when I was a prick as a kid and I would either try to get away from the table as fast as possible or just not be there in the first place. Like I, I worked at the Olympics in 2010 and mm-hmm. I remember my mom being like, you will be home for Passover. This is not a discussion. You will get your ass on a plane. The Olympics are over. Stop having fun with your friends and get your ass home for Passover. Mm-hmm. And I fought her tooth and nail and I didn't see the light on it. And I finally came home and I resented it. And now, you know what? I'm so happy that I came home.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah. Of course. I think I, a lot yeah. of
0: moments. We have a lot of moments that we look back on, especially in families, in bigger families that are, you know, revolve around a meal, those type of relationships. Uh, You do a lot of looking back in your life as a, I think when you become an adult and you're right, you have a lot of regrets about, man, I wish I could just, what I would kill for one more dinner with my grandfather or or my dad or my uncle, you know, just those certain little things. But I think everybody...
3: And everybody, everybody did that to the generation before. Yeah, that. exactly. That's and, it. And I, that I, to us too, and that's just a part of everything. But it's cool to know that we have, you know, souls and and I mean, I guess you know, I'm sure we both come from guilt-ridden places, Chris. So, and, um, no, it's know.
1: nothing but positive reinforcement here. Oh, good. Um, to you. you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church is ba- <laughs> is based around making everybody feel good about their mistakes. Yeah, everyone welcome.
0: The- <laughs> it's all great. Um, <laughs> Hey, another Catholic in the White House, baby.
1: We're <laughs> back, baby.
0: <laughs> Never an Italian though. Uh, question number three: Keith. Uh, was in the White House for eleven days. Come on. Yeah, like, I, I, missed the birth of his son. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: this, this question, this question actually, like from what we were just talking about, the uh, feeds in really well. Uh, what is the best or worst part about growing up? Like it, uh, we segued it automatically. Huh.
3: Wow, these are great questions, guys. The best work really hard on them. <laughs> Put the work in. Um, I think the best the best part of growing up is being carefree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I know that, that comes from an extreme place of privilege, and that not everybody gets that growing up. But man, I had a just a, a great childhood. And I I felt very carefree, I'd say. For most of it, until I was probably 12 or 13 years old, I did not and, ever have anything to worry about.
1: And I think that even, I mean, you, you said that obviously it comes from a place of privilege and it absolutely does, but even in places like those less fortunate, I feel that almost every family goes out of their way to try to make sure that their child's life is as carefree for as long as possible. Right, So right. like even, you know, like, like, like that, it's that's... It's the of a parent, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. It's something that if you Protect can, you from that. you're yeah. fighting to make sure that you're... Kid doesn't know how hard you have it. As an example, or and trying to extend that time period as long as you want, where you're and everything else. It's a struggle that Tony
0: Soprano had.
1: (laughs) Back to the Sopranos. That's another. That's another show, Chris. You have another show. No, it's not. The Sopranos Sopranos
0: is connected to every walk of life, and if you think really hard, uh, you can apply the lessons you learned watching the Sopranos. Your everyday. You the, did
1: you hear Donald Glover's quote uh, this week? No, he said only the Sopranos will be able to touch Atlanta season three and four.
0: Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Wow. I was like, I was like, whoa, I was like, that's a, a I'm
0: watching, I'll tell you that. I'm gonna watch.
1: That's a, <laughs> it's a big
0: statement, Donald.
1: I was like, that's a big statement, and Donald Glover's not a dumb guy, he knows what that means. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. My, you know what I mean? Like, he's a
3: the uh, the worst part is when you when that moment when you realize that your parents aren't perfect Mm. because i think for a long time you think that everybody's the same everybody has the same kind of upbringing with their parents with like at least in my mind everybody went home and had the same experience at home that i did Mm -hmm. and then at a certain point and it it took growing up to realize oh they're not perfect and neither am i and neither is my sister and neither is Mm -hmm. frankly anyone but I think for the longest time, and that's about that whole being carefree and being sheltered and extremely privileged. Like you think that everybody's got it like you, and that and that and that you've got it made. And then something flips, and you realize that no, it's uh, it's life.
1: Yeah, I, I and that, that was I think the my, my buddies and I uh, like my my wife and I have decided not to have kids, but a bunch of my buddies have had kids and they're watching. That's not true. Sure you have a dog. We have a dog. We have a dog child that we love very much. But uh, but one of the things I talk about with my with my buddies who are like as babies are one thing, but now I'm starting to have kids who have like you know seven, eight, nine year olds. Sure, they're they're becoming little people and whatever. And they
0: got opinions and shit.
1: <laughs> no, but but it's one of those things where you're just you start to see the other side of it, where you're like, oh, you're just making your best guess at yeah. what the right call is, and you're hey. like, there's no hey. like your your dad is not this infallible like yes. like pinnacle of wisdom and, and sage advice and knows what to say you're like no he's just the dude who had a kid he really <laughs> you know what I'm, you know, he's that's
0: doing the best his best part, that's the best part about being a child from divorce because when the divorce happens and I was 11 I learned very quickly that my parents definitely are not perfect and I've learned very much how my father was significantly less perfect than my mother so, <laughs> so uh, from a young age when you're able to do that calculation, and it gives you a leg up on society. Because sure. the, the, the worst people in the world, the unluckiest people in the world are like the 25-year-olds whose parents divorce at that age and they're like shell-shocked. They have no idea how to handle this. And my kid, I'm like, buddy, I've been handling grief since I was 10. Come at me. I'll
1: help you. You don't need therapy. Uh, Chris, do you want to ask uh, the yeah. question?
0: So we had... Uh, Dave, you do a lot of v- events in the city, charity events in the city. I know when when the, when the city was normal. Right. Uh, we had the Cunningham boys, Jim Beauchamp and his son Austin, a local restaurant on the West Island, on yeah. to talk about how the uh, the pandemic has affected the restaurant industry and the bar industry. And he had a really, a really great question, I, th- I thought Jim had, for our next guest. And it is... What was your first real, oh, my God moment that you had? It could be professionally, personally. um, It could have been academics when you were younger. What was the first thing that you did that was like you said to yourself, oh, my God, this is crazy. This is great.
1: I'm here. I'm doing this. I'm seeing this. I'm witnessing it or I'm participating in it or whatever.
0: I can't believe this is my life type of moment. Yeah. Huh. Can I ask what some of the answers were?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, I like um, I it wasn't necessarily my first, but the one that, that jumped into my head uh, at the time was I uh, in, in, a, in a span of an afternoon, my wife and I went uh, ma- like like mountain hiking in Taiwan uh, where we saw like lightning, uh, sh- like clouds and lightning shooting down and away from us. <laughs> which was probably the most surreal thing that I've ever seen in my life is like hiking above the cloud line is one thing it's cool but then watching lightning like form up crackle in a cloud and shoot away was just like my head would didn't even manage to get around to it and then also that like amplified because that was also the uh the same afternoon that I proposed to her so it was that was all like bundled into one like I'm like Who's this lightning oh, struck twice huh Yeah, exactly. That's it. But it was one of those literally things where it felt surreal. It felt like something that was in the movie. It felt like I was like, how is this something that I'm allowed to be a part of? Like that entire like emotional thing. That was that was my my answer.
0: I don't remember my answer that I gave only because like the answers that fucking Austin and Keith gave were so goddamn emotional and beautiful. And I'm like, what am I going to say that my first time playing Club Soda even though like, that's that's how comedians think. It's well, that's really... the real
1: answer. But I can't say it. You
0: know? like, yeah, like the the real answer is not beautiful in any way. It's totally self-serving. But like, yo, bro, if you if you ever play a theater and then and then you play a theater, it's crazy. But like, so that's where I'm at. I guess still. It was it was it was club soda. It's fine. <laughs> it's club soda, you know, or the first big paycheck, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's so one of the... I think
3: I I don't think mine is something that that like it's not being on stage at Budokan and it's not uh, <laughs> uh, a nature a phenomenon of nature. Yeah. But I know when I was nine years old, I went to see the I saw the Rolling Stones at the Olympic Stadium, and I can honestly say that that changed my life for the better. It um and this is something that I have not been able to do since the pandemic started, but I get such a feeling off being in a crowd. And there is a, um, I'm I'm trying to think of like other examples where like, like being in the pit at a Springsteen show, Mm -hmm. um, or and back to the hip before which really were my 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 muse seeing that band and I when the final tour happened I went across Canada and that's that might be the oh my god moment is is traveling across Canada being a part of a crowd that was both mourning and celebrating at the same time to mm-hmm. say goodbye to a band that had been the soundtrack to their lives and and yeah I can picture I had literally gone Calgary, Winnipeg, Toronto, Toronto, Hamilton, Ottawa, Kingston, and I remember in Toronto, this was August of 2016. We had um, I'd gone with my sis, and we bought the tickets for the second Toronto for the Toronto show. There were three in Toronto. We went to the last two. And we bought the tickets on StubHub and paid a stupid amount of money. They were behind the stage. And we got to the gate, and they scanned the ticket, and they went, excuse me, sir, can you come with me? And I thought, oh, shit, we bought counterfeit tickets. but we're, we're not going to get in. And they said, uh, we'd like to apologize. We ended up that this, these seats don't have um, a view. So if it's okay with you, we're going to move you guys to an auxiliary press box. And um, we sat in this press box up in the rafters in the Air Canada, what was then called the Air Canada smoker in Toronto, mm-hmm. and watched the 20,000 people below us lose their minds. And, and we were losing ours too, but it was like a, sort of being a little bit removed, being in mm-hmm. that press box, having room to maneuver, not being sweaty like everybody else. That's fucking awesome. By the it, way. Was, it was an incredible moment. It was an incredible moment, and um, I joke that I cried my way across Canada on that. It was really, very, very emotional. And that night, walking out of the ACC, completely spent and exhausted, and strangers are hugging each other, mm-hmm. and, and people are are talking like they're all friends because everybody's feeling it, and. Mm-hmm getting outside and there were sing-alongs and everybody's everybody was in this exact same place. And I've often felt that way that there's a certain amount of, of that unity that you get at a concert that you don't mm-hmm. get anywhere else. And this was dialed up times a million.
2: Yeah.
3: I, I can promise you as I go across all the shows of that tour, the seven shows of the 15 that were on that final tour. I'll never have that feeling at a concert again. Mm-hmm. And every time I've been to a concert since, my brain has gone, this is good, <laughs> but it's not that. And those weren't the best hip concerts I'd ever seen. How could they be? The lead singer was yeah. a brain cancer. But I've never felt a feeling like I did in, in those crowds, ever. And I never will again. And I'm mm. so thankful that I got to do that. And that's my oh God moment.
0: That's awesome. Perfect answer.
1: That's amazing. We can't
0: can't use that question again, Keith, because these answers are too amazing.
1: Yes. I'm I'm saving this one. We're keeping it in in the books. Maybe we're going to make it a permanent one.
0: Yeah, our uh, our New Year's Eve shit shows are quickly approaching. Um, Keith, what's the oh last
1: question? Fifth fifth question is uh, turn the tables. Should should be easy for you. You're a radio man. Uh, What question would you like to ask our next guest? without knowing who that guest is.
0: And us, subsequently.
1: Subsequently, yeah. We'll also, we'll, we'll answer it, too. So,
3: What's the most important piece of advice you've ever been given?
1: And who gave it to you? Oh. What's the most important piece of advice you've ever been given? And who gave it to you?
0: I have that answer already. That's... My it's mom,
1: crazy, crazy. my mom
0: has constantly well, it's because it's a, it's a, something that I've thought about a lot. This particular type of question. Uh, my mom has consistently told me over the years to never look at people who are dumber than me. Always look at people who are smarter than me. And at first, when I was a kid, it frustrated me. I thought because I was you know I didn't do great in school. I wasn't a A plus student. I you know somewhat la- I was a lot lazy, and it always bothered me because you know I knew it was meant as a as a you know a condemnation on me and i need to be better and i i gotten older i continually latch on to that as don't look at people who are doing worse than you or who are dumber than you but look at people who are doing better and who are smarter than you and i'm not talking about you know financially or whatever you know prestige wise but just in general talk to people who are smarter than you hang out with people who are smarter than you don't be the smartest person in the room uh, it's something well, that i, I, I think, think about
2: that too.
3: If you're only going to get for lack of a better term you're only going to become a better tennis player if you play with people that are better than you i don't play tennis but you know what i mean
0: yeah no it's you can apply that to anything yeah it's true yeah. so that that's a really good question and i think that for me is the best that's answer a really good answer with.
1: yeah i i i have like a really 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 hard time even coming up with this not and it, it's it's, a, it's that's on me
3: you're supposed <laughs> to think about it right you're supposed to think about it
1: no, 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 for sure, but it's, like, I know, like, it's, I, it's, and I think it's on me because I don't remember my sources. Like, there, there's stuff that I've, like, passed on as advice that I know I didn't create, but I don't remember where it came from. Like, uh, like, I, I've given a, like, piece of relationship advice that, well, um, it came from somewhere. I, I went through a, a, I got married when I was really young, went through a weird, like, uh, the kind of weird emotional drama filled uh divorce that only like people who are twenty one and twenty-two are even capable of. Right. Cause you're basically like wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I got Keith, married.
0: Uh, Keith didn't wait long, you know, he was right in there. Wow.
1: Yeah, it was it was like one of those crazy, like we're basically early twenties and we know everything. When now you look back and you're like you're a teenager and you know nothing, even though you have a two in front of the number of your age, you're you're an idiot. Uh, but, and nobody says we can do it, but we love each other so we can. So like that, that's the start of it. So of course the explosion of it, uh, is afterwards (laughs) and, and it's just as stupid and dramatic and over the top. And, and again, I I wish I could come up with where this, uh, advice came from, but it was like something that I learned and, and experienced firsthand. Uh, with the explosion of that first marriage uh, and then then took with me into future relationships. And it was like the best relationship advice I ever had. And it pains me that I cannot remember the source Uh, was basically that uh, like a good relationship, like shouldn't be hard work, like all the time. And when it is hard work, you should like you should want to do it like basically and and that was one of the the traps that I got in in that first relationship was it was like it was all it was hard work that you dreaded Ooh. that was you know and that was that was what it was taking to even keep the relationship kind of like together on matchsticks was just like this knockdown drag out hard work that neither side was into uh subsequently my my wife now we've been together 12 years uh and beyond happy where it's like most of the time it's not hard work because and that's the other thing too is if it's always hard work you're in the wrong relationship it shouldn't always be hard work <laughs> you know, right. uh, it, but when there is hard work it's we're both down to do it so it doesn't become this knockdown dragout thing it becomes something that we're we're down to to anchor and build on and it's like and I I actually I, it was it was really funny I was I, I remember passing on that advice at my bachelor party to one of my friends who then like within a couple months ended up proposing to his now wife. Because he's the party, the first one or the second one? Second one, second one, buddy. but but it's funny, Keeping because track over here. And, and 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 that was it. Is he was just sort of like he realized that he was like, he's like, I'm kind of like, I find people get a lot like very hung up on who's the right person, is someone better gonna come along or whatever. But I was like, if there isn't too much hard work and you're down for it, there's a very good chance you're in the white relationship. Like, like stop necessarily looking for what other infinite possibility is. But I was like, but if you're down to do the work for this girl and it isn't much work, I'm like, dude, you're probably in a pretty good relationship. And he was like, I thought about that. And I was like, he he ultimately proposed to her and they've been together for like this was five, five years ago now. Like they've been to get married for the last five years. So Uh that I just I really bugs me that I don't know who the source was because that was I I was terrible. He was your first
0: father-in-law.
1: Hey, imagine. <laughs> no, he was a trash. We'll tell you uh, something about love, kid. No, but that, that's it. But it was one of those things that I was always, I think, and I think that like Hollywood and stuff has like done a disservice to what a relationship is supposed to be, kind of like tricking us into believing that if there isn't high drama, it's not a real relationship and that you, you need to be.
3: Aaron Sorkin trick this about politics. <laughs>
1: <Basically>. <laughs> no, but like, and you know, that is the
3: perfect.
0: Perfect Pretty
2: callback
0: much. to this podcast. Yes, uh, Dave Kaufman, this has been an absolute blast, man. Thank you,
3: Chris. I miss you, man. We used to run into each other and shit. Like I don't run into but anybody, and now we <laughs> don't run into anybody exactly. But uh, we to- I, look to, to you, I look forward to seeing you on stage again. You must miss it so much.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot, you know. So, yeah, uh, yeah, at this point, at this point, I've uh fully accepted the reality that uh, I'm gonna have to live on the internet somehow, so that's what we're doing. Um, uh, exactly uh, hopefully, it comes back soon. I
2: really
1: enjoyed it. Hey there, loyal listener who listens to the show all the way past the closing credits. Um, Thank you for listening to Go Plug Yourself. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, If you enjoy the show, I cannot stress this enough. Please tell people about it. We don't really have a budget for marketing or fancy Facebook ads or putting up billboards on the street. Uh, We really have to rely on word of mouth, which uh, basically means that if you listen to the show and you enjoy the show, Please uh, share it, link it, uh, tell your friends about it. Say, hey, there's this show called Go Plug Yourself. They talk to Montrealers or people that have stuff going on in Montreal, or uh, just p- people that have stuff to uh, promote that we kind of care about. We can we can go outside of Montreal if we want to. Um, yeah, so just tell tell people about the show. It's a it's a fun show. We we like doing it a lot. We've done it for over 200 episodes, and it's in large part thanks to support from uh, people like you. Um, if you want to support the show all you can go to uh, patreon.com slash nine to five cc and uh, throw a couple bucks our way it really helps with uh, the hosting fees for the most part we're really not trying to make a profit on this um, and also if you want to be a guest on the show or you know someone who might uh, want to be a guest on the show you can uh, contact us either on facebook or on twitter there's a bunch of ways to find us uh, and uh, and let us know, and if the scheduling and the timing and everything works out, maybe you can be the next person who uh, comes on the show and uh, plugs something. A uh, big thank you, as always, to Leland Beckman and Oral Turpitude, who provided our theme songs, and of course a thank you to uh, all of the hosts that we have on the show. Uh, Walter J. Ling, who is technically retired, but still sometimes hosts, uh, Christopher Vendito, Lawrence Corber; and uh, Ines Anaya uh, all, are all amazing goas and you should support them and their comedy and and uh, and all of that. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for choosing go blog yourself uh, as one of your from the millions of podcasts. and have a beautiful day. Thank
0: you five podcast blogs and comics made in Montreal since two thousand eleven.